Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall is a lecture series, as I'm sure you know, uh, that takes place in a bar uh, that's usually in Toronto, sometimes in other cities. People speak on all sorts of topics, with the one restriction being that they cannot speak on subjects on which they are professionally expert. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience. I'm going to warn you now, this podcast may contain mature language. I'm not sure, but it probably does. I'll tell you that. This is, of course, the Trampoline Hall podcast. The way this works is in every episode, we go back through the deep, deep archives of Trampoline Hall. We choose uh, one lecture. Some of them are old, some of them are new, uh, and we broadcast that lecture to you along with the Q&A. We do the podcast in short seasons, and for this season, Emily Keeler looked through the archives and chose lectures for you. This is the last episode of the season, so we'll be off for a few weeks, and then we'll come back with a new season for you with six more episodes. If you like the podcast and you're in Toronto, you should come to the show. I think you would really, really like it. Uh, Go to the Trampoline Hall website, get on our email list. We'll let you know when the shows are. Uh, But now, now is the time for this episode's lecture. Uh, The topic is dilettantism, and the lecturer is Allie Waterman. Thank you, Brittany. (laughs) Thank you, English Masters cohort in front row. Um, I brought this stone here. I didn't know I had it, but it was in, it was in the lining of this jacket. That's my mom's. Um, and I bought it at this like crystals stone store. And you know how like in the crystal stores, all the crystals are like this crystal will bring you know renewed energy to your life or whatever. This one was just like this crystal. This stone will help you gauge situations based on how you act. <laughs> so I was like, that seems pretty uh, useful. So I have it here. So based on how I act, we can gauge how my rest the rest of my life goes. And maybe I can say the same for all of you. It's like based on how you act, we'll see how your life goes. And maybe other factors that we can't control. Um, <coughs> So I'm mostly going to be reading off this, m- these sheets of paper. Uh, I chose a small font for reasons to do with fu- fashion over function, which <laughs> seems unfortunate in, th- in this moment where function seems more important because A, you guys can't see the paper, and uh, B, I can. So, uh, okay, here we go. <coughs> 
In some cases, I've taken my desire to not know to the extreme. I've done things like intentionally left my apartment not knowing if my wallet was in my bag. And rather than just looking and just taking a second to check it out, I've uh, just kind of waited until I needed to find out. So I've left the apartment being like, I could just look or I could wait until later and buy something or you know order something and then realize I don't have my wallet. Um, it's not laziness exactly because it's active, it's choice. Uh, and I don't know why, but there's a small corner of my heart and mind that holds this not knowing very dear, uh, like being on the inside and the outside of a joke at once. And, <laughs> and it extends the desire to not know. Um, one example of this desire is that as a child, when I had my tonsils out, uh, I, my brother gave me a copy of The NeverEnding Story, and I read until the last four pages and then just closed the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've never revisited it. <laughs> and I've avoided times when people have talked about the movie, though sometimes the movies aren't the same as books. Um, does it end? Who knows? Another example is the fact that I've only seen one porn movie. Uh, I took to <laughs> porn film. I've took. To <laughs> Hold on. Thank you. I don't know what they're called. Uh, I took to the internet one day about a year ago, and uh, <clears throat> and I said, "Please, internet, provide me with one porn." The porn that I received was nice porn. It was feminist porn. Uh, it was three women in an apartment in Berlin. Um, um, I did not masturbate while watching it. I was thinking mostly about camera angles. Um, and whether continuity was difficult with an entire array of breakfast foods uh, <laughs> that the women were eating through the pre-sex scene. I assume in porn that there aren't delegated sex scenes so much as delegated non-sex scenes, and I don't <laughs> even know if those exist or are common in porn, considering the fact that my sample size is one. <laughs> Anyways, I was spending most of my energy trying to decipher what would happen to the croissants on the table. Uh, how many... How many croissants would they need as backup, for example? Um, <laughs> if they took a bite of one, you know, it's like, if they take a bite of one and then they redo the scene and then suddenly there's just a bite out of this croissant, like this box of new croissants. Um, <laughs> I became, of course, preoccupied with things that, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I became, of course, preoccupied with things that there would basically be no way for me to find out about, um, which is in itself another way of actively deciding to not know. Um, then suddenly I was stopped mid-croissant thought by a very strange sensation. Um, <laughs> it was not the sensation of being turned on, which is what most people experience watching porn, I assume, though I don't know this to be true, maybe we can talk about that later. 
Um, the sensation was that I realized that one of the people in the porn looked very familiar. She looked just like this woman who on Instagram was friends with a woman I was dating at the time. The Instagram woman had very many specific tattoos, the same ones as a woman in the internet porn film that I was watching at this moment. I paused the sex movie and did a quick Instagram comparison and it was true. Uh, they were 100% the same person. <laughs> I watched the rest of the sex movie struck by the puzzling odds. And then I closed my laptop. <laughs> I have not since watched a porno video. <laughs> That's enough, I thought. What if everyone I've ever known is in there? My dentist, my mom's friends. My desire to not understand outweighed this curiosity. I didn't know if you guys would laugh at any of this or not, so that it might be longer than 12 minutes, but I, it, gets, it gets like more sincere soon, so. Uh, as it pertains to people, it would be easy to assume that this desire to not know might make me a bit of a fuckboy. And I'm not always not a fuckboy. Um, but in truth, I want love. I love love. I love people, and, I lo and getting close to people that I love has always been my main priority. It's just, once quantified, once it feels like the motive for love outweighs its intent, there's something that there's something to get specifically for the sake of getting there, I become very wary. I think that approaching anything with the notion of wanting to be a professional on it or quantify it in any way can undercut the experience itself. When I was 20, I dated a guy named Steve who I broke up with because he was so distracted by trying to buy a trumpet off Kijiji that he, he wouldn't talk to me for three days. That wasn't the only reason for the breakup, but it was certainly a catalyst. <laughs> After I dumped him, he was surprisingly devastated, considering he would go hours, days, sometimes even weeks without acknowledging my existence. He started to bring me gift baskets after the breakup. The contents of the baskets were a little chaotic, made up of what whatever he had on hand. Yogurt containers full of frozen chili his mom made, chocolate with Baileys inside, mixed CDs, letters, once a stuffed green gumby from one of those claw vending machines that you see at the mall, and when you press it hand, when you press the gumby, do you guys all know gumby, like the yeah. green thing? Yeah. So when, when you press it, when you pressed its hand, it ominously said the words, I'm back, baby. <laughs> Eventually, I agreed to have a conversation with him. We sat on my bed. He insisted on putting on the mix CD he made me while we talked in order to elevate the vibe. <laughs> so I did. It had Elvis Costello's Allison on it. The one that goes, Allison, I know this world is killing you, oh. Not the most romantic song. 
Why this song, I asked. That's your name, he said. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Alexandra, I responded. (laughs) He said, oh no. I said, it's okay, which was basically a lie. (laughs) How much do you love me, he then asked. (laughs) I took a sip of my large plastic vat of cold vegetarian chili and said, what, do you want a number? (laughs) Yeah, he pleaded. Like a percentage? (laughs) Yes. I don't know, 40%, I said. He took my answer into consideration through the chorus of Allison while I attempted to nibble around the Bailey's parts of the Bailey's chocolate because I had stuff to do in the morning. (laughs) I think we can get it up to a 70, he responded resolutely. (laughs) Get what up to a 70, I asked. Your love, he said, as in 70%. As in, he thought he could improve the feeling I felt for him by 30% and that that amount would be sufficient. (laughs) Stated it sounds absurd when it comes to love, to dwell in the murky waters of 40%, to try and get to 70, some lackluster intended outcome. It goes against a fundamental human desire to achieve, to understand, to get to the heart of. As a romantic proposition, I went with no. No, Steve, I am sorry. My heart wants more, more than 40%, more than 70 even. From a certain angle, I want 100%. I want the heart, the full shebang, if you will, but the problem is I also want to keep the wonder. And what I've been wondering is whether it's possible to have both, the wonder and the 100%. Do they have to be mutually exclusive? Is understanding all of something more likely to lead you to a 100% positive outcome of your experience of it? Does knowing all about something or someone make you more entitled to love? And does thinking that it will undercut your ability to enjoy experiences that are harder to have a full handle on or experiences that defy exhaustive explanation? It's taken me this long to get to the word dilettante, which is in the title of my speech, um, but I think that in the context of dilettantism, this is acceptable. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, The term dilettante has historically gone from celebratory to pejorative. People most easily equate it to amateurism, though I think it's different because I feel like it is inherently celebratory um, for the people experiencing it. The dilettante is someone who is interested in many things, particularly pertaining to the arts. They move through the the world with a flimsy passion for things, but they never become deeply knowledgeable about any of these things. They accept that love doesn't have to coincide with a full understanding. In a way, this lectured series champions dilettantism, though I'm sure many of the speakers who have spoken on subjects of which they are not professionals have been professionals of something. I, on the other hand, am not a professional. I'm doing my second English master's. (laughs) 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 
Stomp, stomp, stomp. (laughs) I will likely not pursue a PhD. I have no money, but I would like to keep doing English master's programs. (laughs) The purgatory of academic engagement until until I die. They are like a one to two year bridge to get you from one place to another, but I would like to stay on the bridge. I like the bridge. Being in perpetual anticipation of a life is maybe just a bizarro life, living one step to the left, or at least this is what I tell my family during the holidays when my mom asks why my skills at being an argumentative pain in the ass haven't landed me a job in a law firm. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. (laughs) In St. Vincent's song, Dilettante, she sings... You're like a party I heard through a wall. A lyric that has always resonated with me as someone who often gets more satisfaction from hearing a party through a wall, where being on its periphery with the option of attending is more fulfilling than the act of attending itself. A preference that, since I've traded um, work as a bartender for the more ambiguous, ambiguous world of laptop work, has not been great for my sex life. The term dilettante is said to come from the verb dilettere, meaning to take delight in something. The concept of the dilettante, once championed, now seems to encompass some of the qualities of the modern day loser. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Happy we're all in this together. Uh, wait, how many people here have done two English masters? Okay, we'll ask that later. We'll ask, okay. uh, <laughs> dilettante is the opposite of what people want to see on a resume, and like many things, it only looks sexy if you have money. Its furthest etymological root, diletto, which sounds like a shoe or an ice cream, means delighted and beloved. Beloved means dearly loved. A dilettante's desire is to love things with delight, the implication that both are possible without becoming a professional on a subject. The very concept of the dilettante asks us if love itself produces inexplicable reactions in people, then why do we feel the need to explain it? But on the other hand, the part of me that believes in the redemptive qualities of dilettantism is also something that in the past has made me feel guilty. For example, I've wondered, is championing a concept that rejects deep knowledge just a way for me to feel okay about not being very good at anything? I've not come to a conclusion to this question, but I have landed on the idea that one's approach towards love as a form of attention is more important than the amount of attention that is produced. Loving people is not the same as loving things, but I think it is hard to classify various ways of loving as fully circumstantial. What I mean by this is, although a person can love many people and many things, the feeling of love in a person presents itself similarly in one subject, regardless of their subject, while no one can speak to how any other individual experiences their own realizations of love. The desire to not know on the surface seems counter to the desire to be fulfilled. It comes with the shame of missing out on experience. In his book of essays, Against Everything, Mark Grief writes about experience and what it amounts to. He says, the person of the human, 
the problem of the human condition is experience, specifically a concept of experience that gives us a feeling that we are really living, but makes us unsatisfied with whatever we obtain. Mr. Grief goes on to say that the meaning of life always comes down to a method of life. Sometimes the method follows from the goal, as religious obedience follows a God who paid attention. Often we don't know how we are living. If we don't know how we are living, but we can feel when we're really doing it, then, is it the pro then the problem becomes the misinformed idea that in order to get to the bottom of, to fully experience something or someone is to have that thing or person. Regarding all the people and things I felt love for, sometimes willingly and sometimes beyond my control in that, oh fuck me, I'm doomed kind of way, I've always wanted to honor the wonder too. The imagination space, the thing that doesn't get to be mine, the last four pages, the porn croissants. <laughs> I do not know how to live, but as a method, a dilettante approach seems like a good one. An approach that pairs the weight of love with the levity of delight. Because as cheesy as it sounds, love itself produces wonder. It makes things that seemed impossible suddenly less so. The last story I'll tell you is one from childhood. When I was four, I fell off the side of a speedboat in the space between the engine and the dock. My dad, fully on the other end of the boat, saw me start to fall and somehow man managed to dive across the length of the entire thing and catch me by the collar of my very fashionable red and purple mech fleece before I fully went under. Everyone who saw it said there was no way it could have possibly occurred that the jump he made was physically impossible. He said he made it out of love, as if this would explain things, and no one tried to know more. Ultimately, I think that love deserves wonder the same way it is able to produce it. And maybe dilettantism provides an angle from which it is possible to feel 100% and still keep the wonder. At least, I am about 40% sure of this, but... <laughs> But maybe with time, we'll get it up to a 70. Thank you. Ali Waterman, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are there any questions? Yes, all the way in the back of the room. What, what's the best synonym for dilettante? What's the best synonym for dilettante? Yeah. Like, amateur, like amateur, basically. That's, that's but, 
I think. Is that the best one? What are you ranking synonyms for dilettante? Is that this is like a an important type of questioning that, every, that everyone else got? <laughs> well, but why? I, I guess I'm curious. <laughs> Thank you for making clear the rules. I appreciate that. But what what leads you to want to want um, Allie to rank the, the, those synonyms? Because dilettante is such a, a Oh, you think like it's like a that's like a ten dollar word? You want like a good no, five I don't cent want word like or whatever? A, a dollar. I want a loony. You want like once like a loony. <laughs> yeah, like a not super cheap word, but. Oh my god, the, I don't know a bigger word. It's it's like dilettante is um it's five syllables, so I don't know any words. You know, more words smaller than five <laughs> syllables. That's as small, that's as small as you go. You want like a simpler word for dilettante? Is that what? You want to call your friend that, but you don't want to use a hoity-toity word like dilettante. What about jack of all trades? Not a word she points out. More syllables, but not as hoity-toity. Dreamer. Dreamer. Jack of all trades. Sure, yeah. You okay with Uh, those? Yep. All right. Yeah. There we go. Thank you for your fine question. (laughs) Use it on your friend. (laughs) Anything else? Yes, yes, you, ma'am. What do you think the best art form or discipline is for dilettante? What's the best art form or discipline for dilettante? I think... (laughs) Thank you. I like that everyone's answering my questions. (laughs) It's much easier. (laughs) Uh, Maybe film, because film incorporates so many uh, different art forms into one, like music, acting, script writing, filming, <laughs> sandwiches, <laughs> food, food art, what? Tyranny. 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 Fraught relations. Uh, after parties. I think film, m- film work. So film, definitely. Okay, great. So there you go. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Good. Okay, great. Anything else anyone would like to know? Yes, up there. How did you think your uh, performance went tonight? How do you think your performance went tonight? <laughs> so good! Thank you. Uh, I feel like my... Thank you. Uh, uh, more answering of... Uh, I think my lisp gets stronger when I'm drinking cold or nervous, and three of those things are the case right now. So in that, in, on the level of sound, I would say less good than normal talking. Uh, but I think that... Uh, and also, I was doing this. I would give my performance about a between forty and seventy percent. <laughs> Sorry. Does that agree with your own assessment? Is that you're shaking your well, head? What do you think? You're shaking your head angrily. Honestly, I think you, you nailed it. He thinks oh, you nailed thank it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. I love cool. you too. <laughs> do you guys do you guys know each other? No. All right. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I'm glad you have you have that in common. Okay, great. Uh, yes, yes, you back there. I'm a PhD student, so I, I have spent a lot of time getting like buried down and into the nitty gritty of every little detail with respect to something. Do you think it's possible to like understand something so fully and still keep wonder with it? So she's a PhD. So as a PhD student, uh, she asks, is it possible to really understand something fully and keep wonder? Is that the is that the question? I don't know. I mean, the closest thing I've ever got. Uh, the thing I've gotten the closest to in terms of a thing was piano playing and I felt like because I had a piano teacher die and I thought that if I I I got really good at piano I could avenge her death um, (laughs) against something against myself I don't know Uh, she died of like old age it was like fine you know it's like it was like it was not like a tragic situation but uh, I did a lot of piano for that year, and then I learned a lot of theory. And suddenly, and this is going to be in the talk, 
but suddenly I felt like everything was very obvious. I was like, I can't play a C chord because it's just so obvious. You know, it's like anything I do is just so obvious. So my experience is that the wonder, like then I took to different instruments, which I didn't understand for inspiration um, because it just, I don't know, the wonder was still there. I didn't see everything laid out on like a graph, but I, I, what are you studying? Chemistry, cool. Yeah, chemistry has so much wonder. It's, you know. It's not like it's English. <laughs> 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 it's not like English where you sort of get it in two years and you're done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I you know, you already speak. We most, maybe most of us already here already speak English. So there's already like an element of wonder taken away. Whereas chemistry is so present in this room in many aspects, I'm sure. But <laughs> none of us know what it is. Mostly except for you. So uh, I think, yeah. I think I think you can yes yeah. Well, I wonder even with piano. I mean, with so with piano, your experience with piano was that at a point you were like, oh, okay, I've sort of this doesn't hold surprises for me yeah. or something. But that seems to me like that's not what I would expect to hear from people who play the piano. And so I wonder if your experience is different or maybe just apply. Like, here's a, I guess the thing I would expect with someone who played the piano a lot is they'd say, oh, you know, I've been playing the piano for thirty years and I keep working at it and it keeps yielding surprises and it keeps turning up new things and, and there's always sort of more depth to go in. And I wonder if it's like, do you think that's just not right? Like, do you think, do you think that's an unusual experience or do you think that's just not how you perceive things? Or no, do people I just say that because it's easy to say? <laughs> I, think, I think that is right. And I think that like considering repetition, it's like the more something recurs, there's gotta be like an active a agent that changes. So it's like if the thing that you're doing doesn't change, then you're you're gonna your relationship to it will change. And I never got good. I'm not like Chopin. Like I like I didn't get so good at piano that I was just yeah. like now I understand too much of piano and it, you know right. there's nothing I can do. Yeah, um, like no one gets to the end of piano. Like no one's yeah. like oh yeah that's I'm just done with it. No, but I I think in in that context it was what I was trying to do was like basically write pop songs and. I wasn't trying to write classical music, so if I had been trying to do something more technical and more difficult, then the like the mysteries would have keep would keep unveiling themselves. But to do something simple in the context of trying to understand how something works seemed counterintuitive. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'll come back to it. Let's. Uh, what, what, anything else? Any any other questions people have? Yeah. What made the German sex movie feminist? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, so there was a, actually the, the porno that I watched, uh, the porn film that I watched was the result of watching a, a, web s a Netflix documentary about feminists made porn, uh, which was basically this woman who directed porn, and I think her name was Victoria Lust. What? Erica Lust. Erica Thank Lust. you. Yes, yeah. So... Uh, it was just like she was basically it was a documentary about her who was like I'm basically only making porn about like women's desires and the only people who are hired for this porn are people who are interested in like partaking in this project uh, so I don't know it was like female fantasy female run uh, non-industry porn and it was like a really like healthy like beautifully shot like I don't know <laughs> And you found I it obviously don't know anything about porn. And, and you found it in no way arousing. <laughs> I mean, the croissant is just really the like. The croissant is really okay. Yeah. Right. Does that does that answer your question? Does that, does that make it better than famous porn? Okay. It was Did you have those. your own criteria in mind? Is there like a? I just wondered what, what your criteria. What were your criteria? Oh, I'm seriously like the least equipped to talk about porn of anyone. But you what? 
What was the question? What was that? I haven't seen any. All right, so it was right. So it seems unreasonable for someone to watch one porn movie to start categorizing them. <laughs> you'd be like, that's also that's also the most sexist porn movie you've ever seen. It's also yeah, it's the most people in a porn scene, the fewest people in a porn scene. Exactly, that like, yeah. that like, well, it's everything. It holds all the records for you. It does. Like, yeah. if, you were to, if you were to give the, well, what is it? I think it's the Adult Video Awards, you would you would win all categories for it's you. One if and you one were it. zero and one hundred. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. So there you go. But there you go. So most feminist for sure. Any other questions? Anything else? People like, no. Yes. Oh, there's. Two, you're so close together, but the person in the front. Yes. What was the best party ever that you didn't attend? Oh God. Uh, often I lived in a house with like five women in Newfoundland for four years, and mm. we would have parties. Sometimes it would be my birthday party, and I would get so excited. And then uh, by the I get too revved up, and then by the time the party was about to occur, I didn't like I like worn it out. It's like the same way if you talk about a project you're working on, it kind of does the same thing as like actually working on the projects. You shouldn't talk about the project or else like you'll get too, like you won't do it. Um, and so probably like I once uh, did MDMA in my room and listened to Angel Olsen while there was a party happening in the rest of the apartment <laughs> and uh, had a great time. Was it your birthday? Yeah. It was there, you were just like, that's what, I'm, that's yeah. what I want to do for my birthday is just have other people celebrate it for me. Yeah, and sometimes people would come in and like bring me a present. And then, like, leave the room. It was so amazing. <laughs> and they all had a great time, and I didn't have to worry about friends who didn't know each other meeting each other, and it'd be weird. I could just be an MDMA in my room. Does that answer your question? Damn right it does. Uh, yeah, so you had, your hand, you had your hand up. Did you have a different question, or were you going to ask the same one? All right, what was it? <laughs> How many outfits do you have? How many outfits do you have? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, what? I have three blue, navy blue blazers. Uh, I probably have, inter I probably have upwards of 150 outfits. You have 150 outfits? Well, if you combine all like the things, it's oh, like if you have like, like a combination thing. Yeah, yeah, like a like a capsule outfits or whatever. Okay, all right. How many clothes do you have? Oh my God. Uh, Instead of answering that question, I'm going to say that once drunkenly, and this is one of the most embarrassing things I've done, I went on a rage rampage on Instagram where, you know, like capsule wardrobes where people are like, I have seven pieces of clothing and this like, you know, does no. it for me and they're very like aesthetically pleasing. I would like count the number of clothing they had and then write and be like, you have more than seven. <laughs> like you have hundred, <laughs> you have like 25 <laughs> pieces of clothes. I can see it on your Instagram. Uh, I don't know. I have pro probably like 80 articles of clothing. <laughs> I, I, in my mind, I can't help but categorize like the things that Ali doesn't want to know and the things that Ali does want to know, <laughs> which is also kind of weird. Like I'd be yeah. like, like, I'm happy not knowing how many <laughs> items of clothing a capsule fashion person on Instagram had, but that's a piece of knowledge that you're like, oh, I, I want to have that. That's a whole other trampoline <laughs> hall, actually. Probably darker. To know as well. Anything else? Anyone? Any other questions? Any other questions anyone has? Oh yeah, where's the hand up? Where's I see? Oh, but yes, yes, you sir, yeah. Did you stop writing music because it stopped yielding? Because it uh, for whatever reason? No, but then I got the yips with performing music, so I stopped playing. You got the it. you got the what? <laughs> Wait, Zach, did you teach me this term? Yeah. yeah, it's a baseball term. It's like when you're like up to bat and there's a lot of pressure on you and. You can't hit the ball. What's the term? The yips. The yips. The yip. 
Wait, is that not Sorry. quite the term, or it's not quite a baseball term? That is the term. That's not quite what the, what it means. So he gave a definition that sounds almost exactly what you said. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, <laughs> lover, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I just basically, l I lost confidence and got too neurotic, I'm very neurotic, which is probably why I love dilettantism as well, but that's a, that's a, was a faster talk. That's a what, sorry? It's like faster to be like, I'm just really neurotic, so I love not being an expert on anything, because <laughs> right. I get the yips. <laughs> that was the right, that was a shorter, <laughs> so you'd be like, oh, let's go, there's this really interesting explanation for I'm a dilettante, but maybe it's just like, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, like around that. Scary to get, scary. Do you think that's part of it? I guess that's what I wanted to come to before, is like, how do you, because that, it felt like it was, I don't know if it was really touched on in the talk, but I guess that part of it was that idea that like, oh, maybe there are, like the, like there are the, Maybe there are those deeper surprises or things like that. So the, the surprises that come from like going deeper in in, in playing the piano, or the pri or the surprises that come from like discovering that like oh, there's actually more that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like it's really obvious what you don't know about something new that you haven't encountered before. But then the thing that you start to master and you discover things that you didn't know that you even didn't know you didn't know before, mm -hmm. which which seems sort of counter to what you're saying. And I'm not sure if you think there's value in that or what the different like it's sort of like knowledge on this axis versus that axis, if you know what I mean, like I breadth think versus depth. Yeah, I think that that is definitely valuable knowledge. I think that I don't like just um, think dilettantism is like the answer. I think that um, my, my issue has been the idea of people wanting to become professionals of things for the sake of it rather than it's like kind of destination over the journey vibe. So if you apply that to like love and people and interactions, it becomes, um, it just becomes about, uh, you know, motive versus intent. So I think that there is like, there, there's definitely a way, uh, there's definitely like anything you do if you become a professional on it, you, you can experience like new joys within it and new exciting elements of it. But I think that so many people I know are so like bent on just becoming a professional in something mm. that they lose the kind of uh, enjoyment. Is that possibility or that potential even? Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Great. Anything else? Uh, yes, over there. Yes. It sounds like you're describing the intellectual versus being a dilettante. People are like, no, no, no. <laughs> but you can all once again, people really like to answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh. What can you go on? What do you think an intellectual is? A dilettante. <laughs> I mean, you were just talking about a kind of professional, a fear of professionalism or specialization, which isn't the same as being a Um What is? Well, what's the difference between not being a being a non-specialist and being a dilettante? So, so, so you're saying that just being an intellectual in general just means being someone who's interested in different kinds of things? And then what does that mean for Ali? <laughs> 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 
She's <laughs> you're like, so she's a good writer, okay. Yeah, and, then, and then and then and is it just a question of terminology that you're getting at, or is there something? I mean, some people don't like to say it or some people think it's a really bad thing. And um, I, I think that where it gets you is kind of like uh, against, this sounds too, too like, I don't know, uh, Evolve Festival in Nova Scotia vibes, but like, or, or like Burning Man or something. But it's like, it's not about where it gets you. That's like the point. But um, <laughs> I think that, Mainly, like, enjoyment of things that you love without having to master them is just where it gets you is being able to enjoy them. I don't know. Uh, and that's true, I guess, in your talk, both intellectually with things and also with people and also with and, and all those different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. and so maybe that's different from part of what it, maybe what it means to be an intellectual, which is, like, maybe there's a component of mastery. I mean, I guess it depends what kind of intellectual you're thinking of, but what you're thinking of, at least, of, like... Uh, like pursuing an academic career or something like that where you're meant to master something? Yeah, like Susan Sontag is like a public intellectual uh, and she is like kind of a master on many, the, like every subject she writes upon, she's like a master of that subject in that moment. But I feel like she's not a dilettante. Like she, like she's not just like, I love all these things. She's like, I have an opinion on them and I'm going to be like the smartest person about it. And she is because she's like amazing and untouchable. But... It's more about like the experience of love and that being enough, I guess, maybe. Well. All right, that sounds good to me. Let's wrap it up there. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Allie Waterman. <laughs> Trampoline Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty. It is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Kate Bars. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music is composed by Matt Smith, and Kate Bars is our coordinating producer. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not leave us a review on iTunes? It really helps people find us, and it really helps us a lot. I am Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.